Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, My name is Pristine, um, and this morning I'm going to be reading, to start us off, I'm going to be reading some scripture. And so if you want to follow along, um, I'm going to be reading out of John, uh, verse 20, 1 through 18. Um, All right. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and, on, and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the disciple outrun Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but, not, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came al- along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she, went, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he told told them that he had said these things to her. Good morning. morning. Have you ever noticed how certain smells trigger like memory like how like when you smell certain things like whether it's cologne or campfire like it like it takes you back it transports you so whenever I smell the smell of water mixed with flour it always reminds me of this time of year you're like what is water mixed with flour Paper mache. So when 
when I was a kid, we did this Easter production that we did every year. It was huge production. There's probably 60 people who were part of the cast and there was uh, lights, lighting cues and um, stage props. And we built these canvases that we put on the wall that look like uh, Israel's uh, Jerusalem and the temple walls. And we built these the 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 mountains and the tomb and all of this stuff and I, I every year like we I don't know if you know this paper mache is pretty fragile and so like it we would have to repair and or rebuild every year and so this particular year 19 years ago Easter was on April 23rd the night before, and I, I was always in charge of all of this, all of the, the tech and all of the, the production and all of the, the media and all of the, the, the lighting and the sound and making sure everybody's microphones were on. So I had to be there early and I was there late. And on Easter Sunday, we did a Sunday morning production. The night before, see, for the previous few months, I had become friends with this girl. And we were, we were just friends. We were just friends. I'm serious. We were just friends. Every week, people would ask us, hey, are you guys dating? No, we're just friends. Gosh, why do people keep asking that? We were just friends who spent all of our time together and talked on the phone until midnight every night. That's, we are good friends. And so on this particular night, April 22nd, 2000, we were on the phone. Again, I had to be at church at 7 the next morning but we were on the phone until well after midnight. And during the course of this conversation, the question was asked, what what is happening here? What, What is this? I think there there is there's this this thing called cognitive dissonance, where the things that you think that you believe to be true don't line up with the reality in the world. And so sometimes the tension when you have that cognitive dissonance gets to be too great. And one thing led to another, and the proclamation of, I like you like a lot, like more than friends a lot. 19 years ago, I proclaimed my like (laughs) for what would become my wife. Melody and I started dating the, the Sunday the Saturday night before Easter. And you know, you know what's really exciting? You know, not only Jesus is alive, but also now I have a girlfriend. 
two really good things. But the problem is, is that, I don't know if you noticed, there's some weird tension happening in the story of the resurrection. Like, like it's not until probably halfway through the day before this is good news. Like Mary is confused and hurt and lonely and broken and scared. And Peter, Peter and John, they supposedly believed, but believed in what? Believed that the tomb was empty for sure. But did they believe that Jesus actually came back? The scripture tells us that not only did they believe, but they didn't understand. They didn't fully grasp. And that was just like how that Sunday went. Because I could not find Melody anywhere. She was terrified to face me. She was afraid because this all happened over the phone. The next day was terrifying. And it, it didn't feel like, it didn't feel like we, I had a girlfriend, to be very honest. And it was, it was scary. And I think, I think the reality is, is that when we look at the story of the resurrection, we look at the story of Jesus coming out of the tomb, and we, we celebrate, we shout, and we, we get excited about that because it's the pinnacle moment with, within the church. Like it's the highest, most celebrated, biggest thing in the church, Jesus' resurrection. This week is called, this past week that we just went through is called the Holy Week. And each day has a different theme and a different thing that you, that you commemorate. But I think that we sometimes, we miss the tension of the resurrection. We miss the uncertainty of the resurrection. And this morning we're going to be looking at not one of the Gospels. We're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 65. Would you mind following along with me as I read this, Jared? Starting in verse 17, it says, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. So when Jesus comes out of the tomb on Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago, with it, he ushers in a new reality, a, a new truth, new creation. The, the problem, though, is that d does this feel true? I will create new heavens and a new earth. This one's looking a little banged up. The former things will not be remembered. 
The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. I, I woke up this morning and got a news alert that over 150 people were killed in Sri Lanka. Christian people who were celebrating Easter, their life, life was taken. Does not sound like weeping and crying will be heard no more. It doesn't sound like that. So look, keep going. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. Is that, is, is that the reality we live in? Like the people are living to be a hundred, like that's, that's the normal thing. Like people who only live to be, like that, that guy must have done something wrong because he didn't know. Verse 21, they will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. Verse 23, they will not labor in vain nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. One of the other translations says doomed to calamity. thought that was pretty descriptive. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and the dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain. I, I, think, I think we happen to live within a very similar tension that Mary and John and Peter lived in. Like, we have this recognition that something happened. Something occurred. Something may be miraculous, but what does it mean? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for us as a church? What does it mean for the world? Isaiah promises that, you have to understand, Isaiah is promising all of these things to a group of people who have been in exile. They've been exiled from their, uh, their country. They've been in another country and they're just starting to come back and they're just starting to see God do something among them. But when he declares this, none of this is true yet. See, when Jesus walked out of that tomb, something incredible happened. but it didn't happen all at once. And it doesn't happen all at once. Yes, salvation was purchased. Yes, the resurrection 
gives us new life. But what about the rest? What about the rest of the world? Jesus comes out of the tomb and Rome is still in charge. The empire is still in charge. The proclamation of and belief in the resurrection of Christ teeter between the familiar and the utter, utterly novel. Isaiah, Isaiah 65, at least, the concepts are readily understandable. Babies no longer die. Children no longer suffer. Work is always rewarded and rewarding. Weeping and cries of distress are no more. So, some will be so bold as to ask, if Christ is raised from the dead, then why are these promises in Isaiah not found among the benefits of the resurrection here and now? Yet suddenly, it's Easter Sunday. Today, Easter Sunday. And, and we look at the world around us. And, and we have this belief as people who follow and love Jesus and call ourselves Christians, we have this belief that Jesus rose from the dead and when he did that, something happened. Beyond personal resurrection, beyond eternal life, something happened. Something happened in the world when Jesus came out of that tomb. But we also can't help but see that it hasn't reached all of the corners of the world. We look at the pain, we look at the hurt, we look at the injustice within the the, the story of the resurrection of Jesus, like it should call us, us as Christians, to partner with Jesus and be resurrection people. Here's the thing. The interesting thing about the story, when you read the story, like all of the Gospels, like nobody went to the tomb expecting Jesus to be alive. In the, the Luke passage, a group of women bring spices and embalming materials because they thought that Jesus was dead. They didn't expect it. They didn't expect the resurrection. They didn't expect anything to have happened. They expected to find Jesus still in the tomb. Something happened. The, the text invites us to declare that the resurrection has become the key to understanding justice and restoration as God's way in a tortured world. Resurrection is the act of God, the beginning of new creation. We did not expect the resurrection the women were on their way with spices and ointments to minister to the corpse of Jesus. Things were as they had always been. The powerful crushing the innocent, the fearful finding a scapegoat to assuage their anxiety about social upheaval and persecution, the energetic followers running away at the moment of crisis, 
and the one who loudly claimed to be the most loyal of all disciples, denying that he even knew the man who was charged with blasphemy and sedition. We did not expect the resurrection. Yet, the resurrection came, and everything was thrown off balance. Just so, the prophet declared that God was doing something new. That in God's new world order, there would be no more meanness, no more crying, no more lamentation, but a new heaven and a new earth that excluded not only war between humans, but also war among the creatures. All creation thrown off ballast by human disobedience is now at peace with itself and thereby reflects the character of Israel's God. Is this merely pious nonsense for returned exiles or the church? Is this salve that soothed burdened cynicism, helping the poor and those who tender conscience with tender consciences, endure the troubles of the world while we await the resurrection? Or are we called to something more? There comes a point where that cognitive dissonance that we experience, that, that, that tension that we experience gets to the point where we have to do something. And I think that if we are called to be resurrection people, if we are called to live out the truth of the resurrection in our life and among the people around us, what does that mean? What does that look like? How do we do that? How do we go forth and be resurrection people? I think we're going to have to ask ourselves some questions. What is this? What's going on? Like, I think, I think we have created a theology of escapism, and, and we believe that the resurrection is, is about us getting away from this world. And, you know, the world is going to continue getting bad, and and terrible, and all the things are going to happen, but eventually God is going to take us out of here. And whether or not that's how it plays out, God still has called us today, here and now, to be agents of new creation, to be agents of the resurrection, to be people who see the things that are going on in the world and react, and to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to love with the hands and feet of Jesus. The reality is, is that not only, it's not only us who feel the cognitive dissonance. The world around us feels the cognitive dissonance of, of, of a, a community of believers who claim the resurrection of Jesus, who claim that God is making all things new, and sit back and watch atrocities, terrible things, illnesses that could be prevented, who sit back and watch things that we could do something about. So today, how, how do we be resurrection people? How do we fight for justice, fight for peace, fight for hope for all people? 
how do we take the truth of what Jesus did and what Jesus accomplished into all the world? This morning as we we wrap up this message, what would it look like if we who claim the resurrection would live the resurrection? What would it look like if we were to take the tension between what we say we believe and what is going on in the world and we allow that tension to bother us, to frustrate us, to move us to action? What if we didn't assume that we're waiting for some big miraculous miracle to happen at the end of time and then then God is going to make everything right? What if we assume that our job right now is to be his hands and feet today? To be resurrection people, to live out that new creation life today? What if we chose to go and do what Jesus called us to do? To go into all the world to preach the, the gospel? What is the gospel? The gospel is, yes, Jesus died, rose again, and saved us from our sin, but also the gospel is good news. And if the gospel isn't good news, then we're not sharing the gospel. God has called us as believers in Jesus to go out and be good news, to be resurrection people. So my challenge to you this morning, two things. Number one, if you're here this morning and you are with Peter and James and John at the, at the tomb, you see something has happened, but you don't even understand it right now, good news. God's not done. Later on in the story, Jesus shows up and he shows up for each of the people in the story in the way that they need to hear him. So many of the stories that happen after the resurrection are some of my favorite stories in the Bible. Story of Jesus calling Peter back. Story of Thomas. So if you're here and you are looking at the resurrection and you are wondering, I don't even know what this means. I don't know what this has to do with me. I'm not even sure if this is real. All I know is that tomb is empty. My challenge to you, stick around. Walk with us. Let Jesus show up in your life. Let him reveal the truth in your life. And number two, as a church, how do we take up the cause of the resurrection, the cause of new creation, the cause of making the world right? Jesus comes to put the world to right. How do we participate in that? How do we walk alongside that? How do we 
look for ways that we can create peace and be peacemakers? How do we create justice? How do we be the right kinds of people? How do we live out that resurrection life? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are alive. We thank you that your life turned everything upside down. God, I pray that you would help us to be the sort of people that not only believe in the resurrection, but live out that resurrection, to live out the truth of what your resurrection means for the world. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray.